0: Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church podcast. Riverbend Church exists to lead all people to know, love, and live new life in Jesus Christ. We hope that you enjoy this message. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. We okay? We doing good? Are we grateful to be here together? Three of you. I mean, I heard more voices than claps, but I was reminded as we were singing that song that My goodness, we have so much to be grateful for. We have so much to remember about what God has done and what he's still doing. You know, Psalm 107, this has nothing to do with the sermon today, other than the fact that it has everything to do with the sermon today, because our God is still on the throne and he's here to do what he's already been doing again. And we believe that. I want to remind you of Psalm 107 as I was sitting down there and I was we were singing these words, and it was it was washing over me that that we are the redeemed. Psalm 107 talks about, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let I see a room full of redeemed people. There may be people in here that don't know Jesus yet, and please hear me. You're welcome here, and I pray that you meet him before you leave today. That's my prayer. That's... The, the focal point of what we're doing here is to lift Jesus up so that you might meet him. But if you have met him and you've been redeemed, when you say so, the whole world takes notice. The whole earth is full of his glory, right? And look at what happens. Look at what happens at the end of Psalm 107. I didn't plan this. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He'll do that. If there's evil in the land and it needs to be purged, he'll turn the river that we thought was flowing into a desert. He'll turn it around. And then look what happens in verse 35. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and, and get a fruitful yield. May this be true of us here. The redeemed of God, as we say so, and as he purges us of evil, and he he begins to to lay waste to all that needs to be removed, and then he will spring water for us to dwell with, plant vineyards, and get a fruitful yield, and by his blessing, we will multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. May may this be our prayer in this season. would you just pray with me before we begin today that God would bring this to pass here? God, we believe that you're here. We believe that you're moving. We've seen what you've done. And we come to you now and we ask that you would do it again. God, would you purge the evil that remains in our midst? God, would you, would you clean it out and would you prepare a way for your living water to flow that the world might know that you love them, that you've come to redeem them? that there is forgiveness to be found in the name of Jesus, that there's healing in the name of Jesus, that that what you've done that we read about is not something that we just remember. It's something we can experience because you are the living one. And you live with us. You inhabit the praises of your people. And I thank you, God, that We can sit and we can rest in that reality that you're here with us. And you're doing what we cannot do. You're turning our mourning into dancing. You're giving us a new song to be sung about your faithfulness. We thank you for that. We acknowledge that we're not worthy, but because of you, you have made us righteous. We acknowledge that we can't earn our way to you, that we can't march our way to your throne apart from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. But because of that sacrifice, and because you conquered death, hell, and the grave, you have made us righteous. We are redeemed, and we will say so. It's in your name we pray, and everybody said together. Amen. Amen. All right. Welcome to church. Welcome, Oakwood. We're grateful that you're here. Aren't you proud that I remembered you again? But it didn't take me long this time. We're grateful for you. We hope you're having a great day over there. Pastor Greg is there and others, and uh, we're we're so we're so excited that you're with us. Gainesville, thanks for being here. We've got uh, a great day planned. I know that God has so much in store for us. If you're brand new with us, my name's Jared. I'm uh, I have the the privilege of standing in this spot on this stage for the next several weeks to help bring the word of God. I'm also meeting with the leaders here and and we're, we're working together to look into the future, the near future and beyond of what God has in store. And I wanna to celebrate today this week we had a great meeting about the pastor search team and, and we have several yeses already. Some of you have already said yes and there's others that we're praying for uh, that will say yes and, and this team will be the team ultimately that's going out and bringing uh, names and candidates to the table for who the next leader is of this place and, and praise God that, that that's moving. Are we grateful that that's moving, that we're moving into the future and we're looking for a leader? Nope, we're not grateful for that. Thank you. Thank you. I thought Stacey Crane would be grateful for that. You know, I mean, he can clap louder than anybody. He said, Are we going to be shouting today? I said, You better lead it. <laughs> you failed. You just failed right there, Stacey what a good what a good season that we're in in the midst of difficulty in the midst of what's going to happen next there are leaders here I want you to know because you can't be in the rooms that I've been in not everybody can be in these rooms but I want to open up the window a little bit pull back the curtain to tell you that these leaders are strong because God is faithful and he's placed people here that are prayerfully considering what's happening in the future of River Bend and it's going to be a beautiful future I believe that and that's what we're praying for together but I want you to know that things are happening. We are moving into the future and we're grateful that God is leading us there. Over the last couple of weeks we've been in this series called When the Dust Settles and today we're going to pick it up again in Acts chapter 3 and we're looking at what happened in the early church, right? What happened when Jesus ascended back to the Father and left the ministry of the local church in the hands of the apostles and the Christians that were there? And we're seeing explosive growth in the beginning of the early church and in the first week of this series we looked at uh the 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 mission that we have that they had that they began in the early church and that we have today to be witnesses of this good news to all of the earth and then last week we looked at the marks of a healthy church and what a beautiful time we had together looking at those basic fundamental healthy vital signs of a healthy church. And this week I'm excited because we're getting to some exciting stuff that's happening in the early church. In Acts chapter 3, there's a a miraculous event that takes place. And and what was one man's miracle, we see ultimately the purpose was for 5,000 more miracles that took place there. And I'll explain that as we dig into it together. Acts chapter three, verses one through 16. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. It'll be on the screen. If you do have a Bible, go ahead and turn there and let's follow along together. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. If you're not, no problem. Just wanted you to know where I'm at so that you're not confused when your words are different than mine, okay? Acts chapter three, verse one. Here it is on the screen. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Pause. This man was crippled from birth. We know from a later chapter that he was about 40 years old. He, he could not walk for 40 years. People would carry him to be close enough to the temple so that the, the religious people, when they walked by, would give him alms, which is really just uh, giving to the needy, giving to the poor. They would give him something to have. He was begging there at the temple and dependent on what people could give him. Verse three, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. And they said, look at us. He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Literally in the original language, his ankle bones were made strong. Remember, Luke is a doctor. He's a physician. And he's writing this account of Acts here. And certainly his mind is blown. His his feet and ankle bones were made strong. And then verse 8, he leapt up. He He, he began... Leaping and, and stood and, and began to walk and entered the temple with them walking, leaping, praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And the people recognized him as the one who sat there at the gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while he clung to Peter and John and all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, whoa, 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 men of Israel, wait, why do you wonder at this? Why do you wonder, or, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? No, no, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, the, the one who will do it again glorified his servant Jesus who by the way you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him but but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead to this we are all witnesses and his name by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man that this perfect helped in the presence of you all. Wow. Yeah. This man, whom you know, whom you've seen for 40 years, and now you witness to what has happened. Don't, don't look at me, Peter said. Don't look at what I did. I, I, this is awesome, but don't look at me. Don't miss the point. It's him. He's the source. He's the hero. He's the power. My faith was just the channel for that. Don't miss the point. He's the power. He's. The, but Peter says, look up here. And by the way, you killed him. You killed the author of life. This not very seeker, sensitive, or friendly in this moment. And we're going to look at this and we're going to unpack this together today in three main points. I see three main points in this text. The first one I want to look at is the power of the name. The second one I want to look at is the expectation of faith. And then thirdly, the purpose of the miracle. This man, this lame beggar. He was 40 years old and crippled from birth. His life was marked by dependency. They had carried him everywhere he went. He was dependent. He was begging at the temple every day at the gate because the religious people would help him there. And on this day, he asked for more help. And the apostles, they said, I don't have any silver and gold. Imagine it. Maybe if, if you've been around homelessness, if you've lived in a, in a city or an environment where there's a lot of homelessness, we have, we have homelessness here in Gainesville, and, and maybe you've seen people that are begging, and, and if, if you've ever gone to them and not given them money or anything that they might need, maybe you've seen their face go long, and well that, that's, that's what I need to get through the day, right? Like That's kind of what happened here. He, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I do have, I will give to you. When we look at this text, I, I want to pause here for just a moment and say this is not a warrant for us to go out of here and not be generous for the people that we see that need our help. That's not what this is. It's not an, a, a prescription for us to go out and not show mercy or not show grace and love. And You have to use your discernment and be led by the Spirit when you do so. That, don't, don't take this as a license to not be generous, but at the same time, We know that our primary business is is not to make everyone's life better now. It's actually to show them and announce to them that there is a greater life to come and that there is redemption in the name of Jesus. And because of him, they can turn from their sin and turn to follow him. And no matter what this life throws at them, they will have a better place prepared for them for eternity in heaven with God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son. This is our primary objective. It's not a warrant to stop being generous. Sometimes generosity is the gateway to be able to share what I just said with the people, knowing that that's what they really need. But in this case, we see that the apostles responded by not giving them silver and gold, but actually giving giving him the very presence of God that could heal him, the very power of God that could heal him that would begin his relationship with Christ. First thing we'll look at today is the power of the name. This is what I want you to write down if you're a note taker. The name of Jesus is more powerful than you can imagine. It's more powerful than, than you can ever imagine. Peter looked at the man and what did he say? This is what I have to give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. Let's break this down one at a time. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The fact that he said of Nazareth is no small thing at all. Nazareth was a despised city full of uh, despised people. People looked down on these people and this place and yet Peter's lifting it up like a banner. They would have used this title for Jesus as an insult in those days but Peter's saying this is our savior. This is our king. He is bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh for we do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but he's been tempted in every way just as we are for, for we know that he had no form or majesty about him to look upon. He was cursed by men and afflicted and we esteemed him not. This, this is our king. And we see in this title, this name, The picture of the gospel, that Jesus came to the lowest part of humanity in order that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We see that he doesn't call him Jesus Christ of heaven, the holy city. We see that he doesn't call him Jesus Christ of Jerusalem, which would have been known as the greatest city on earth. He, no, his name was associated with the poor and the needy, the ostracized, the marginalized, the outcast. He, he was from a carpenter's house, which was not in vogue like it is today. Like they, HGTV would not have been knocking down their door to try to get Chip and Joanna type of stuff happening back in those days. Okay, He's from a carpenter's house. This was a lowly position from a lowly town. And lowly people. But don't miss that we see the gospel right here in his very name. This name in an earthly sense is full of weakness. But in reality it contains more strength than any other name. That has ever been given. He descended into the lowest depths of humanity. And now has been lifted up in the highest place. The highest throne of heaven. And no one will be able to remove him from there. In his name. So Peter says, in the name of Jesus, in other words, by his power and authority, rise and walk. We, we know that in an earthly sense, positionally, when you say, when you use somebody's name or title it, that's ahead of you or above you, it carries weight, right? Like if you're in your office or you're in your workplace and you say, the CEO told me to tell you This it carries more weight, right? Like in the old days, they would say, I come in the name of the king, and this these are his instructions. It would carry weight, this positional authority, it carried power with it. But that kind of power and authority is nothing compared to the power and authority of the name of Jesus, because all things are subject to his authority. Look at Ephesians 1, 19 through 23. This is a beautiful part of scripture. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? Far above. This is where he's seated. This is where God has seated Christ. Far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion. Far above all of these things that we trust in and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. All things are subject to his authority. So when we say in the name of Jesus, this is the power that we're talking about. Charles Spurgeon said, The keys of heaven are in the hands of that man who knows how to use aright the name of Jesus. But we certainly know that we can use it in vain. The name of Jesus is more powerful than you can imagine. What did he say? When the people were saying, what's happened to this man? Peter said, it's in his name. In verse 16. Of Acts 3, he says, it's in his name, and by faith in his name, that this man that you see has been made well in his name. Now, it's typical, I think, for us to try to make faith the hero of this story. I think it's natural, actually, to try to make faith the hero of the story. If you could just have more faith, if you could have faith like Peter, maybe you could do what Peter did. Uh, but I, I want to submit to you today that that's actually backwards from what we see here. That faith is integral to this process. Don't hear me wrong. Faith, you, you must have faith to channel the power, but the power is not in the faith. The power is in his name. The power is in him. And, and so you become the channel as you believe in his power. But when we look at verses like this, it's typical to kind of rearrange that and make faith the hero instead of Christ the hero. But I want you to look at the revised version, which I typically wouldn't bring out because it's some old language. But the revised version of Acts 3.16 actually orders the words a little, it uh, well, words them exactly as they were in the Greek, which helps us. And by faith in his name, hath, I don't know, his name made this man strong. So look at the order of it, right? By faith in his name has his name made this man strong. His name has made this man strong, primary. It was his name that brought the power. And by the conduit, by the the channel of this power that made this man strong is faith in his name. Do you see that? But we got to get it ordered right. Instead of trying to stir up more faith from nowhere, we look to the strength of his name and we remember that we can have confidence and trust that he is going to do what he said he was going to do. And then our faith is strong. Why? Because he's strong. His name made this man strong. H. Judson Taylor, who was Much smarter than me said, not a great faith we need, but faith in a great God. It's not a great faith, but faith in a great God. It sounds kind of like when Jesus said, all you need is faith of the size of a mustard seed to move the mountains. Imagine what they thought when they heard that. The mustard seed would have been the smallest seed that they would have been really using in those days. He's making a clear point. Stop measuring your faith, stop measuring your holiness, stop measuring your righteousness as if that's going to give you better standing and God's going to use you more. No, his power will flow through those who are most confident in him. The power of the name. Okay, number two, I want you to see the expectation of faith. And that expectation is that faith would produce obedience. A faith that works, a faith that acts, a faith that obeys. That's what we see here in this text. Let's start by defining faith. This is just something that I wrote down to try to simplify it for us. Because faith, it's not a big word, it's only five letters, but we use it as if everybody knows what the heck we're talking about. All right, So let's just zoom way back for a second. What is faith? Faith, in a simple sense, is confidence and trust. That Jesus is who He says He is, and He will do, He can do, what He says He can do. And He will do what He says He will do. It's confidence and trust in His ability, His strength, His power, and in His Word. Hebrews 11 we call the faith chapter because it gives us so many illustrations of what good, genuine faith looks like. And I want to look at verse 11 from Hebrews 11. By faith, Sarah, who was the husband of Abraham, <laughs> the wife of Abraham, to get that right in 2023, please. My goodness, Sarah, the wife of Abraham, herself received power to conceive. She was too old in that. Even when she was past the age, she was too old. She laughed at God like, "There's no way that this is possible," but she received power to conceive. By faith, channel, you see that, conduit, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. By faith, sorry, I'm getting, I'm I'm moving so fast. Give me back to verse 11, my friend. By faith, the channel, she received power. And he goes on to define faith here because she considered him faithful who had promised promised this is at the core of our faith considering him faithful who had promised believing trusting having confidence in his word in what he's promised and genuine faith as Sarah had will lead us to produce an obedient response Think about this for a moment here when you when you think about Peter and John and, and what they were doing. And as they were coming before this man who was asking for money and they were led by the Spirit to offer him physical healing that would then lead to his spiritual healing, I would like to submit to you as I've been studying this text that they weren't walking around looking for people who needed to be physically healed. They were on a mission To advance the kingdom of God. Their first priority was to bring about and announce that there was a spiritual healing that could come on the people. And by way of this mission, they find this man who was in need and the Holy Spirit said, here's your opportunity. By faith in my name, do what I'm telling you to do. And they obeyed him. And this man was miraculously healed physically and spiritually in this moment and in this scene. But Don't miss their primary goal to spread the glory of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was their priority. Let's get a little more applicable for a second. They were going to a good thing. They were going to to pray, to worship with the people of God in the temple of God. They were headed to a good thing. But they slowed down long enough to see somebody who was in need on their way there. How often do we walk slowly enough through the crowd to be prompted by the Spirit and obey Him in that moment and put off the plan that we had and the place that we were going just for a little while for the Holy Spirit to use us where He has us? I think there's a clear lesson here for us. In this text, to slow down, to look, to ask God to give us his eyes, to listen, to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us and and lead us, guide us, direct us, show us what he has for us right in front of our steps. The Holy Spirit prompted Peter to act and he was very clear with what he did. Peter's faith is is almost dripping with confident expectation. Like he was so confident that Jesus was going to do what he did. Surely the Holy Spirit prompted him to be so bold. Probably and certainly the Holy Spirit prompted him to remember what Jesus had done and, and what Jesus had said even in John 14 when he told the disciples there that they will do greater things in his name after he goes back to the Father and he sends the promised Holy Spirit. Peter surely remembered this and he had confident expectation. I wonder if our faith is marked by this confident expectation. Because if our faith is marked by this confident expectation, it will produce obedience. I was reading a story that really gripped me because I have uh, my youngest just turned four this week and I was reading about a, a preacher who's, Daughter was five, and she came up to him and asked if she could if, if he could build her a dollhouse. The preacher was studying, and so I'm relating, you know. It's a Saturday, he's preparing his message, he's real focused, and she says, Daddy, can you build me a dollhouse out in the backyard? And he says, Yeah, sure, baby, absolutely. And then he goes back to studying. Well, about 30 minutes later, he looks out the window and he sees his daughter is putting a pile of playthings in the yard where she wants the dollhouse to be. And she's making laps, like everywhere in the yard that she can find something she wants in the dollhouse. And she's going inside and grabbing dolls and grabbing all these things to put in the dollhouse. And she's piling them up where she wants it. And and the husband goes out and and asks his wife, what is she doing? And his wife said, well, you told her that you were going to make her a dollhouse. So she's preparing for you to do what you said you were going to do. She believed that your word was going to be fulfilled. And he goes to Home Depot. He goes to Home Depot immediately. He grabs some wood. He grabs all the stuff and the supplies. He comes back and he starts building the dollhouse. Now, that's the end of the story. But as I sat back and thought about the story, I thought, wow, what made this preacher so excited to build this dollhouse for his daughter? Well, did, did he love her more that day than other days? Did he think that she might have deserved it more? Do you think? Did he think that maybe she's been nice enough and she's not on the naughty list right now, and so I'm going to show her favor and give her what she needs. Maybe some of these things need to be reversed about the way that we think about how our Heavenly Father looks at us. Side note, different sermon. I don't think that's why this father built the dollhouse for his daughter. I think this father built the dollhouse for his daughter because he looked on her faith and saw that she believed his word and he couldn't help but act. He couldn't help but do what he said he was going to do. He couldn't help but jump into action and, and carry out his word. But it began with her confident expectation and hope that he would do what he said he was going to do. It reminds me of James chapter 2, verse 14, talking about faith and, and how faith works. What good is it, my brothers, James chapter 2:14? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and, and one of you says to them, "Go in peace and be warmed and filled." Without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? What good is it to just say it but not act upon it? What good is it? Verse 17. So also by faith itself. Faith by itself. If it does not have works is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Well, I say, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. James says, I will prove and put on display my faith that you can't see by the works that I do. James says, your faith will produce obedience. Your faith will produce action. Don't get it twisted. Your faith Alone is what saves you in Christ alone. But this faith that's genuine will produce obedience and action. I wonder if our confidence and trust in God produces obedience. I wonder if we expect him to move in these ways. That's the expectation of faith. Number three, the purpose of the miracle. The miracle was just as much for the crowd as the man. Now, let's not forget how great this miracle was because this man hadn't walked in 40 years. And can you imagine? Some of you have taught kids how to walk, right? This is what's funny to me about teaching kids how to walk. Parents, we think we're like the ones who did it, you know? Like we're, well, your kid hadn't walked yet with you. You want me to show you how to do it, you know? Like, but when you actually watch a kid learn how to walk, they have to fail a thousand times before they can actually get it. And as a parent, you're like, you're you're strong enough to do it. You just don't believe you can do it yet. And, and when they finally start getting up and then they fall and, and they're awkward and they can't get it quite right. And, and think about this for a second. This 40-year-old man with all that weight. has never been able to walk. And it's one thing for his ankles and his feet to be strengthened and him to be able to do it, but it's a whole other thing for him to know how to do it. And how do we know that he knew how to do it? Because he leapt. And he just started walking and running and praising. Think about the miracle of not only strengthening his body, but giving him the ability and the knowledge even, to do it. The crowd was totally in awe of what was happening. They knew the man. They'd seen him struggle. They'd seen him have to be carried everywhere. And they were totally in awe. And then in Acts chapter 3... Verse 18, we'll pick this up again and we'll go into the, to the beginning of chapter 4 as well. But we watch what Peter said as he finished his sermon here in Acts chapter 3. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer and thus he has fulfilled. So repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Repent therefore and turn back. We've heard this language before in chapter 1. Chapter two, repent, therefore, and turn back so that your sins may be blotted out and so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ Appointed for you. That's Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. He's doing what he said he was going to do. You hear Peter's language. And look at Acts 4, verse 1, which, by the way, just keeps going. Like we don't, we've separated these chapters just as a heads up. We did that. He kept going. The story keeps going in, the chapter, in chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, as They were speaking to the people, the captains, the priests, the Sadducees, the religious elite, the rulers were cuffing them and arresting them and taking them off as they were doing it, as he was preaching. This is not a very, he's already not being seeker sensitive with what he's saying. But now get your mind on the scene. They're dragging him off as... He's given this message as he's delivering these words. And then look at what happens in verse 4 of Acts chapter 4. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of them came to about 5,000. It doesn't seem like something that I'm just dying to go for when I watch the guy who's telling me about this salvation be drug off by the ruler's. Of the day, like that, might be my destiny. But five thousand men—just counting the men right here—were cut to the heart, and they saw the truth, and they saw what Jesus had done, and they saw that He had come for them as well. They they saw in a moment that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. that, That that God loves me enough. To send Jesus to stand in my place. And and even if it means that I might get arrested one day like that Peter guy did, I'm in. What started with one man's miracle turned into 5,000 miracles. You may think you're ministering to just one man, but that one man's testimony might lead to a revival. You may be thinking, you may think that that one woman that you've been talking to and praying for and and walking with, that, that that's just one person, but you have no idea what God might do with that one person's testimony. You might be in here today and you're just one person and you feel like nobody sees what God has done in your life, but I promise you, if you begin speaking and singing and dancing and leaping about what God has redeemed you from and what he has redeemed you for, Your one miracle might turn into 5,000. By the way, 5,000 miracles was no less miraculous than this man beginning to walk. The miracle of salvation is the greatest miracle of all, certainly. The most effective strategy to reach many will always begin with reaching the one. So the question today, as we get ready to close... Jesus is alive. He's enthroned in heaven. And the Holy Spirit of God is here dwelling with us to accomplish the work of Christ in the world. So how does Jesus... Heal today? How does Jesus comfort today? How does He do what He has promised to do today? How does He bring encouragement to those of us in this room? Think about all the needs in this room and in Oakwood and beyond in our community. How does Jesus handle the needs that are here? The answer is by the Holy Spirit through you and through me. The answer is. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. He's here to use you to accomplish His work. It's time we stand up and realize that Christ living in us is the hope of glory. That that He's enabled and empowered us to be His witness. that, That we're the channel and His power flows through our faith. So, what do we do with that? I want to read Luke chapter 11 as we close our time together. As Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, this is what he said to them For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. It's pretty good news. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more will the heavenly father, who is perfect, who is good, who is faithful, give? To us, the Holy Spirit, when we ask Him. says, so we prepare to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, where does that begin? Every day, Heavenly Father, give me more of You. Give me more knowledge of who You are. Give me more knowledge of Your power. Empower me by Your Spirit to do what You've set me here to do. We build this trust in the secret place with Him. And then we begin to walk slowly through the crowd. And we keep the mission at the top of our minds. This is how we live out and apply what we learn here. Oakwood, we love you. Pastor Greg is going to take it from here and lead us home. We love you guys so much and we can't wait to see you real soon. But Gainesville, as we consider this word today, I don't know where you are. I don't know how you came in here. I don't know what you're carrying. But I know that God has graciously given us an opportunity today to respond to him in faith. And I want you to know that this altar is going to be open in just a couple of minutes. That we're going to spend some time asking God to pour out his spirit on us that we might be his hands and his feet in this community. But if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you've never come into a personal relationship with him, will you come find me up here in the front before you leave? Will you come find me so I can talk to you about that? But maybe you just need prayer. Maybe you just need to pray alone today. We're going to spend a couple of minutes here falling on our faces before him, asking him to move. Father God in heaven, we thank you And we ask you to continue to do what only you can do. Thank you for loving us first. Shower us with your grace and mercy in this moment. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church Podcast. To learn more about who we are as a church and how to connect, you can head over to our website, riverbendchurch.life.